Welcome to Living Faith Lutheran Podcast. I'm Pastor Scott Martz. Visit us online at living-faith.church or in person every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. in the Midlothian Conference Center, Number 1 Community Circle Drive, Midlothian, Texas, 76065. And now be encouraged by this week's message. Now is the time to take out that insert called Living Faith Notes. Uh, as you're doing so, I want to welcome those who are listening via podcast or, or watching uh, via video um, online. We are in the third week of this sermon series called U-Turn, and U-Turn is all about repentance. And our text this morning are various verses from Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through 24, and then we jump forward to verses 36 through 41. I would encourage you on your own to read the, the full text. It's Peter addressing a crowd of people, and we will get into it here. Beginning with verse 22, it's not the beginning of the message, we're picking up the middle of Peter's message. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And jumping forward to verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Most pastors, myself included, have at least at one portion of their ministry dreamed of having what's called an Acts 2 congregation. And you might say, well, what exactly is an Acts 2 congregation? Well, it's really the first Christian congregation. Now, even though the Old Testament, we know that Christ was there, Christ was the rock, we're talking about those after Jesus' death and resurrection who first called themselves Christians and in time a Christian church, and it began there in Jerusalem. And we know that the numbers were, were somewhat small initially. 120 people, Christ followers in Jerusalem, who hung in there during Jesus' death 
And then after the resurrection, likewise, they are the church. But then Peter, 50 days after uh, Jesus rose from the dead, Peter addresses a very large crowd of people, most of which were not followers of Christ. He preaches one sermon and 3,000 people come to believe in Jesus and join that congregation. And, and not only this, but then we're told in Scripture that God added to their number daily those who were coming to believe in Christ and joining that congregation. And not only that, but they were an awesome congregation. They totally got it. This 3,000 plus people devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, to the breaking of bread, which is Holy Communion, and to prayer. And the Bible says that this Christian congregation, they were perfectly united in mind and thought and in the mission work of Christ and his church. Perfectly united. Again, an amazing church, an amazing work of God, that first Christian church there in Jerusalem. By the way, our, our mission here at Living Faith is, is based on that in Acts chapter 2. From our website, our vision, we want as many as God enables in Midlothian and beyond to also come to believe as we have that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, who came to save us, forgive us, and give us everlasting life. We also want to be fully united in mind and thought as a congregation, as the Bible teaches. Be fully united in mind and thought. Be perfectly unified. That is our vision. That's what they had there in Jerusalem. Again, the Jerusalem congregation. Now, the more I consider and study scripture and see what God accomplished there in that congregation, I'm in awe, I really am, at the power of God and how God works. Now, what's even more amazing to me than 3,000 people joining a congregation in one day is that 3,000 people were led to repent, make a, a U-turn from the direction they were going, and they were baptized that day, which makes my, my mind wonder, you know, how exactly did that happen? Where were they baptized? How were they baptized? Did they, did they travel a distance to the Judean countryside, to the Jordan River, where John baptized? Were they baptized there in, in Jerusalem? There, there are some streams in Jerusalem, very shallow streams, just a, uh, streams that are just a few inches deep. There are some pools, not like big swimming pools, but smaller pools. Were some of them baptized there? Probably so, sitting in the water as water flowed around them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Were some in the, the pools, like the Pool of Siloam, baptized? Were others baptized with water jars, with water being poured over them? Did some journey down to the Jordan River? We're not told. But we are told that they were baptized, and that's really the miracle. Uh, the, the word baptizo, by the way, the general understanding is washing with water with the word of God. God doesn't describe the method, that's not important, but that they were baptized, 3,000 of them, and, and they, they, they came to believe 
in Jesus, and they, they joined this congregation. Now, an even bigger question is, how is this even possible? What was the power behind their turning and believing in Jesus and, and being baptized? Was it a power within themselves that was always there and they just acted upon it? Or was there a greater power there? We're going to answer that question today. What is the power of repentance? Both the initial conversion of a person, but then for us, as people living the Christian faith, what's the power behind daily repentance, contrition of our faith? Now, to understand, again, the power, it helps us to understand the, the background of our text and what's exactly happening here. Our text takes place 50 days after Passover, 50 days after Jesus' suffering and death and his resurrection three days after that. Now, why is this important that it happens 50 days later? Well, Peter, in his message, he makes it very clear that many of them, in this large crowd, many of them were the exact same people who were in Jerusalem 50 days prior. Same group of people. Now, most of them did not live in Jerusalem permanently. They simply were there. The Bible tells us that there are three main festivals among the Jews. And even today, practicing Jews, these three festivals are very important. And if we lived in Israel in Jesus' day, we would make every effort, if we could, to travel physically to Jerusalem for these three main festivals. The first one is a fall festival. It's called the Festival of Tabernacles. And it's, it's actually pretty cool that uh, what the Jews, and to this very day they do this, in the fall, it's kind of like Thanksgiving, they celebrate God providing for them, but it's a festival of temporary dwellings. That's what a tabernacle is. And, and Jews stop living in their house for eight days. They camp outside their backyard. They have tents, they have temporary structures. The roofs are um, open. There's beams and stuff or pieces of wood, but they put slats in so they can see the stars at night. And it, it was, it's their way of saying that our ancestors tented. They lived in temporary dwellings on their way to the promised land. And also that our lives are temporary, right? We tabernacle in this life. And it's a, it's a good reminder for all of us. The second main festival is Passover. And Passover always takes place spring of the year. A couple weeks here, it will be Passover. And, and Passover is tied into uh, the Old Testament and the, the delivery from Egypt, God delivering them from the hands of the Egyptians and the original uh, Passover, the angel of death passing over those who put the blood on the doorposts. And, and you know uh, about this. Fifty days later is the third and final main festival. And it's called Pentecost. Penta, 50, 50 days later. So 50 days after spring is early summer. So our text uh, takes place uh, during the festival of, of Pentecost. And we're told in, in Acts that there were Jews and converts to Judaism from all over the world. Parthenians, Medes, Elamites. Residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya near Cyrene, 
visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. So Jerusalem swelled. There's all kinds of people, large crowds. This is also when Jesus said to his faithful followers, stay in Jerusalem. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit in a very powerful way. This is the original Pentecost. And the 12 disciples and the other Christians are filled with the Holy Spirit. And the crowds who are not followers of Christ, they're hearing the gospel in their own languages, but there is skepticism and they're being criticized by the crowd. And the crowds are saying, these men are drunk. That's what's happening here, they're drunk. And Peter is addressing the crowds, again, thousands of people, many of which were there 50 days earlier during the Passover. 50 days prior, what was happening? Jesus celebrated with his disciples the Passover meal, but the next day was the day of his death. These crowds remembered, it was still in their memory. Jesus, the miracle worker, and now he's going to be crucified, and we want him crucified. They joined in. They had murderous thoughts on their mind and heart, the exact same people. Verses 22 and 23. So he's addressing the crowds. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death, nailing him to the cross. So stop there. Keep in mind, 3,000 of these people, what are they about to do that day? Join the Christian congregation. But what does Peter do? Peter says, you, with the help of wicked men, 50 days earlier, murdered an innocent person. That person was Jesus of Nazareth, the man accredited by God through miracles, signs, and wonders. What does this tell us? These were wicked people in their hearts. They had rejected Christ. They were joining in, crucify him. 50 days prior, they had murderous thoughts in their heart and mind. Wickedness. And now they're about to join the congregation. It tells me that God cares for everyone. God cares for you. Most of you have been lifelong Christians he cares for you every day. But God cares for those who reject him. He cares about those who have murderous thoughts against him. God cares about people today who have rejected him. And I don't think anyone here in this room, but there might be someone eventually listening through a podcast that in your heart have rejected Christ. You need to know that God cares for you as he cared for these people that had murderous thoughts during the time that Jesus was put to death. And what Peter does is he doesn't mince any words. He addresses the crowds and he tells them, you had a part in Jesus' death. You are guilty of this. Now, we need to understand this and understand again the power behind conversion, the power behind daily repentance 
What is Peter doing? He's addressing a crowd, but he's addressing a crowd with God's word. He's preaching God's word. The power behind his words was the power of God. We're told this in Hebrews chapter 12, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered, laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. The power behind their conversion is the power of God working through his word. And Peter is going to lay it out before them. Um, there's actually three parts to Peter's message. But this leads us to our first fill-in. The power behind repentance is God working through his word. Again, it's alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. What was the result of Peter's preaching? They were cut to the heart. The Bible tells us that God has written his word, his law, into our hearts. And what makes us aware of that inner law? Our conscience. Fifty days earlier, they were pointing to an innocent man saying, murder him, crucify him. They were breaking God's moral law. And now Peter, through the proclamation of the word of God, is saying, you had a part with it. With the help of wicked men, you put the one we've been waiting for for thousands of years, accredited by God through miracles and signs, you put him to death. And it, it struck their conscience. They, they were bothered by what Peter was preaching to them. Now we have a word for this. It's called the law. The word law is a word in scripture that God gives to us to direct our actions. Through the law, God tells us what to do and what not to do. His will for us. And as we hear God's law preached to us, we examine our own heart, our actions, we realize we've done just the opposite. God says to do these things, and I did the opposite. God says not to do these things, guess what? I've done them. The fifth commandment, no murder. You shall not murder. And what had they participated in 50 days earlier, at least in their hearts? The murder of an innocent person. Again, it, it triggered guilt on their part because guess what? They were guilty. So the power behind turning from our sins, part of it is the power of God using his law and that law condemns us. The Bible makes it clear that nobody is saved through the law. Romans 3.20, therefore no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sins. Our Lutheran confessions talk about the terrors of conscience. Terrors of conscience, not a good thing. We sin, uh, it should bother us. And God's word through the law makes us acutely aware, again, uh, that, that we have done wrong. Now, in Peter's sermon, he uses the law, but immediately he proclaims the gospel. Um, the gospel is not a word that directs our actions. The gospel, rather, is good news of what God has done, his actions, 
uh, to save lost people. Verses 24 and verse 36. So you put an innocent person to to death, the one accredited by God with miracles and signs. Verse 24, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. What did God do? God raised this person, put to death, back to life. Death could not hold him. And then Peter says, he is Lord, he is Messiah. He lives. The Messiah is the one that we are proclaiming. Verses 37 through 39. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for those who are far off, for all whom the Lord your God will call. In other words, make a U-turn. Change your thinking about Jesus and change your thinking about what you just did. Empowered by God, turn around and be baptized. It's a passive tense. Be baptized. Be washed clean for the forgiveness of your sins. Baptism is, is God's act upon us to wash us clean of our sins. He washes us into Christ. It's pure gospel. Empowered by God, turn from your sins. Empowered by God, be washed clean for the forgiveness of sins through baptism. The promise is for you and for your children. The final part of Peter's message is one of exhortation, verses 40 through 41. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized. About 3,000 were added to their number that day. Now, there might be some confusion here. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Is Peter saying that we have to save ourselves for salvation? That's not what's meant here. The, the word save here, the Greek word, simply means separate yourself. Separate yourself from corruption, the corruption of this world. By the way, the Greek word that's translated corruption, it's scoliosis. If a person has scoliosis of the spine, it's crooked, right? Peter's saying, separate yourself from this crooked generation. This world is broken. You were a part of it. Jesus saved you. Now empowered by God, understand that. Separate from that. Um, it's interesting, again, the, the three parts to, uh, to Peter's message. Peter basically said, again, you sinned against God. You participated in your heart. You murdered the one that God gave to you. God worked it out. It was part of God's deliberate plan of salvation to redeem the world that one would die for all. He did that. He's been raised back to life. There is redemption and forgiveness in Christ Jesus. And then exhortation, going forward um, to separate yourself from the corruption of this world. Now, now what about us? So we say the power behind the initial conversion, the initial U-turn is the power of God. 
working through his word, law, and gospel. What about us? I've been a lifelong follower of Christ. I'm 53 years old. My mother brought me to Christ through the waters of baptism when I was just an infant. I have yet to live a day where I, I did not know the Lord, and perhaps you're the same way. Daily repentance is part of the Christian life. What is the power behind our daily repentance contrition? And I'm here to tell you it's the exact same power. It's God working through his law, because my sinful nature needs to hear that, and it's pointing me to Christ and what he has done, the gospel, which sets me free. And, and then in the life of sanctification, it, it's God working in me, again, going forward, and everyday living, recognizing things, separating myself from the corruption of this world. But it's still God's power. Um, when I look at the law, it condemns me. God's law, when I examine my thoughts, my actions, tells me that I'm a far worse sinner than I ever thought. And God's law does the same with you as well. The gospel, though, tells me that God loves me far greater than I ever dreamed or imagined. Jesus died for me. Jesus rescued me. And, and that's the same power, again, behind, um, behind repentance and, and, and daily contrition every day. The Apostle Paul said this in 1 Timothy 1, 12 through 16. I'm applying this to the law for us. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Um, and let's continue on with the fill-in. So the power behind repentance is God working through his word. Through his law, God tells me I am a far worse sinner than I ever thought. That's what he told the crowd. And it is true. However, through the gospel, God tells me that, that I am loved by him more than I'd ever hoped for or imagined. God forgives me, God saves me, God loves me. And, and then what, what God does is he encourages us, exhorts us, knowing we're forgiven in Christ Jesus. Now live for me. Sanctification is, is cooperating with God. It's, it's separating ourselves when we know is corrupt and, and desiring, to, again, to, to, to grow in our faith uh, through our Lord. My friends, that's the power of repentance. God working through his word, both law and gospel. Amen.